Let's take God's word this evening and turn to the book of John, the New Testament book of John, chapter 1, if you would please. And just a brief word I'd like to share with you. John, chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, I, many of you know, Tommy and I took a trip to the States, and uh, we had the longest plane ride I've ever had to take from England to America. And I think probably just simply because of the price of the tickets, we found the cheapest one we could. And uh, we, before we recognized what we were doing, we were headed to Texas. Ten-hour flight from London to Texas and then getting a connecting flight from Texas to Tennessee. So that's okay. But uh, that gave us ten hours to read the Word. I was able to finish one book, read half another book, and read 12 chapters of the book of John. So it was a very profitable 10 hours. I can't remember the last time I had 10 hours straight, a 10-hour devotion. So it was a very profitable time. And whilst on the plane, this is one verse that jumped out of my mind from the very first chapter of John. I want to share it with you this evening. I believe there's something in it for us tonight. We'll begin reading in John chapter 1 from verse 19. And we'll read down to verse 29. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And they say unto him, Then said they unto him, Well, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent, were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me that God would use this text this evening to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we open thy word and we are aware, at least somewhat aware, that all of our talking and all of our listening is pointless and meaningless and a waste of time if thy Holy Spirit doth not move. Our Savior told us that thy spirit bloweth like the wind where it listeth. We pray that tonight it would please thee this evening to send thy spirit here to move in amongst us into the hearts of some who are skeptical, into the hearts of some who are broken, 
and are in need of a touch from thee. We pray for those who are just grasping for some, some snippet of faith, some glimmer of hope, and we pray that tonight in this place they may lay hold on Christ and find in him a better hope. We ask, Father, move in this place. Open our eyes as we've been singing. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want to draw your attention to verse 26. Look at it there with me. John answered, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. There's standing one amongst us tonight that some of you do not know. We've gathered beneath this tent this evening amongst friends and acquaintances, and chances are nearly every one of us knows someone in this tent. Most of us. And throughout the years, we've come to know many different people, and in fact, it's very interesting that Christian circle is much smaller than we can ever imagine, isn't it? You can hardly go anywhere without bumping into somebody that knows somebody that you know. It's quite interesting. We've come to know many people throughout the time of our lives. We've come to know many, many things, a lot of information, even a lot of information about God. But it's possible to know many people and to know a lot of information, and yet still there be one standing amongst us that you do not know. What good is it tonight if you know the pastor or the elders or the deacons and yet you do not know Christ? What good is it if you know the king of England or any politician, but yet you do not know the king of kings? Who cares if you know all the latest football statistics or know all the world's finest cars and latest technology and gadgets, but you do not know Jesus of Nazareth. Who cares? If you have and know all of these things, but yet you do not know the one who is standing amongst us tonight. I don't mean to be unkind to you, but it doesn't really matter how much theology you know if you do not know Christ. Doesn't matter how strictly you follow the Westminster Confession of Faith or the, or the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith or whatever confession you want to hold to. It's no good if you do not know Jesus. Some of our friends, it's the Heidelberg. But it's no good if you do not know Jesus Christ. Look here for a second. It's no good if you know yourself. It's no good if you know that your life is broken and you know that you're, you're good for nothing as it were. It's no good if you know how dark your life is. It's no good if you know yourself and you know your sin, but you don't know the one who can deliver you from it all. What good is it? What good is it to pine away in your self-pity and misery? What good is it to, to languish in your, own, in your own unworthiness, but yet you don't know the one who can rescue you? There standeth one amongst us whom ye know not. My question tonight is, do you know him? Do you know him? We so often get distracted from the most important things in life, don't we? So often. 
They asked John a series of questions. Look what they asked him in verse number 19. Who art thou? Who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. They didn't, they didn't satisfy their answer. They went on. Okay, then what then? If you're not Christ, and then art thou Elias? He said, I'm not. Okay, well then, are you that other prophet or another prophet? He said, no. Okay, well then, who are you? And John knew that they missed the point entirely. They missed the point entirely. It's interesting how easy it is to look at men, isn't it? It's interesting how easy and how caught up we get at looking at men, at their faults and their failures, and we're so willing and so easy to look at other people, but do we know Christ? It's easy, really, to look at anybody but the Savior. And John had only come to speak of Christ. He only wanted them to know the Christ, the Savior, but instead of looking to the one he was pointing them to, they were looking at his messenger. You see, I think for many of us, our problem is we don't really want to know Christ. Like these men didn't really want to know who John was talking about. They wanted to know John, maybe to pick out something wrong with him or so they could feel more comfortable about themselves. Maybe this is you tonight. Maybe you're not really interested in the message. Maybe you're not really interested in, 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 in Jesus Christ the Lord. Maybe you're more interested in a denomination or, or more interested in and what theological term someone associates the most with. But the main question tonight, the only question that really matters is, do you know him? Would you look this way for a moment? I'm going to ask you one question. Do you, yes, you, do you know Jesus Christ? You can have all the right theological ideas and still not know him. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 17? In the first three verses, this prayer that's recorded for us, what a remarkable prayer it is. But Jesus says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this, are you listening? This is life eternal. What? that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is eternal life? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to have new life? Look here. It means you know God. It means you don't know, not knowing about God, but you know God. This is eternal life. Not knowing your catechism, not knowing your confession, but knowing your Christ. This is eternal life. Do you know him? It's interesting. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11 that you cannot know God unless you come through the son. Matthew 11 is very plain and very clear about this. Matthew 11 and verse 25. Let me read to you what Jesus himself says. He's praying, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Look here for a moment. It is God's ordained plan that no man be born again unless they be humbled. And therefore, the matter of salvation is hidden from the wise and prudent men of the earth. Those who think they're far too clever and far too intelligent 
and far too theological. It's all hidden. But they've been revealed unto babes, the humble. Even so, Father, for so it is. it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son, thank you, but the Father. That's the last time we're going to tape up a microphone. No man knoweth the Father. Verse number 27, knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and to he and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Nobody knows the Father. Nobody knows the Father except the Son reveal the Father to them. Would you like to know God? There's no shortcut. I'm sorry. Would you like to know God? It cannot be through any other way. It cannot be through any other. Some people think that Christians are very narrow-minded because we say this. But this is not being narrow-minded. It's being very open and being honest and saying, look, there's one way to know God. That's through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not cruel and unkind, but it's actually very loving to say unto you, look, there is a way to know God. This is it. Jesus Christ is his name. No one knows the Father except he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And then we hear that famous verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, because that's the only way to know the Father. Remember what Jesus said? I can remember the first sermon Johnny Rooney ever preached. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can try every other way in the world, but there's only one way to get to God, only one way to find peace with God. And by the way, if he's the creator God, if he is indeed the creator of the world, if he is indeed the God of all peace, then your very hope of peace is found in coming to him. But if you don't come through his ordained method, which is his son, you're never going to get it. Never going to find it. Do you know him? Now, the second observation, there standeth one among you whom ye know not. Now, don't miss this. John is looking at these religious people. They knew the scriptures better than you and I know the scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament. And believe me, they knew it. Memorized it. They knew their theology and they were right on it. They were solid on it. They knew every single bit of it, but they didn't know the God of their theology. And the Lord, the Lord says, Pardon me, John says, look, there's standing one amongst you. Here's what he's saying. You don't know him, but it's not his fault. Are you listening? You don't know him, but it is not his fault. And you and I have got to stop blaming God for why we're not saved. We've got to stop blaming God as to why we are still in our sins and still broken and still in darkness because there standeth one amongst us. He's here. He's not far away. God is not some cold and distant being who created the world, wound it up like a watch, like a top, set it going, and then turned his back on it to see what kind of destruction it would cause. No, he's near. He's standing amongst us, the scriptures say. He's not far. Acts chapter 17, maybe you are familiar, you remember the the account when Paul stood on Mars Hill and he said in verse number 27 that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him. 
though he be not far from every one of us. I love this. He be not far from every one of us. Oh, I'm not the cleverest chap in the world, but I just like to take God's word. For as it, as it stands, he isn't far from every one of us. Sometimes we talk like this. Sometimes I, I'll talk like this. I'll say, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were just a million miles away? Well, you might feel that way, but the reality is he's right here. He's here. He's here. He is near. He's not far from every one of us. And look what the instructions are. Very clear. Paul says that we should seek the Lord. If happily, they might feel after him and find him. There's a promise in God's word. If you seek him with all of your heart, you shall find him. Now there's three steps there. Three steps in that one verse. It says that they should seek the Lord, feel after him, and find him. Have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night and you had a general idea of where the light switch was? Maybe the light switch on your wall or the lamp by your bedside and you had a general idea well, if you want to turn on the light, then it, that begins in your mind and in your heart. I, I want to turn the light on because I cannot see. Maybe tonight you're here thinking you're living in darkness and you want to see light. You want the light of Christ. You want the light turned on in your life. That's where seeking begins. But you've got to feel after it. The same way in the middle of the night, if you want to turn the light on, you begin to feel around. Maybe the wall. You ever been there before? And you, you, I knew that light switches around here somewhere. You're feeling after it. And finally, you find it. But would you look here for a moment? You will never find it if you don't feel after it. You'll never find it if you don't look for it. And you can lie in your bed all day, all the middle of the night, and say, I wish the light were on. And try by some, some means of, of, of tele, uh, telepathy to turn the light on, but it ain't going to happen. You can lay there and say, clap your hands and you ain't got a clapper light. So clap them all you want to. You got to feel after it and turn it on. In the same way, the Lord is right here amongst us. He's here. He's not far from every one of us. But if you don't seek him, you don't feel after him, you will not find him. I don't know why it is. I understand God is sovereign. I don't know why it is, but the command is very clear. Seek the Lord and you shall find him. That's God's method. I don't understand it, but I read it and I believe it. Call upon the name of the Lord. How do we feel after him? By calling out to him. By searching for him. God in his mercy. God in his mercy shall hear. Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul again gives us the same thing. And one of Tommy Walls, I can remember Tommy's favorite verse when he was first converted was Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power for it is the power of God unto salvation. Did you hear that? The gospel message is the power of God to save you. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because in that message, for therein is the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Here's what it's saying. God is revealing himself to us in this message, in this book. 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Because for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. But that tells me God is amongst us, showing us the truth, showing us what is right. People all the time, well, if, if, if there's a God, where is he? He's right here. He's revealing himself to you, but you just don't want to see him. You don't want to look after him. You don't want to feel after him because you know that if you do, you might find him. I hear people say that to me. I've had people say that to me. I don't want to get too much into it because I'm afraid something might happen to me. They understand. One lady said to me just yesterday, we had a beautiful, very close time of fellowship in the meeting there in the Netherlands afterwards, a question and answer time. And one lady said, sometimes I'm afraid to pray. She began to weep. Sometimes I'm afraid to pray because I'm afraid of what the answer would be. I'm afraid of what will happen if I pray. And sometimes people have the same mindset. I'm afraid to seek God because I'm afraid it might be true. <clears throat> Scripture's clear. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by these things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We are all without excuse because there's standing one amongst us. He's near. And can I say as kindly as I can, when we stand before God one day, if you continue to reject him and refuse to come to him on that day, if you continue to reject the Lord Jesus and his love on that day, it will not be God's fault when we are separated from God for all eternity. It'll be our fault because he's standing amongst us and we're without excuse. He's revealing himself to us in the creation around us. He's revealing himself to us through his word. He's constantly speaking and pricking the conscience, but we are constantly turning our back. Is that you tonight? You see, the problem is not that he's far away. The problem is that he's near and we won't receive him. Do you hear that? The problem is not that God is far away. The problem is that he's right here and we won't receive him. The Bible says in verse 10 of, of our text in, in John chapter 1 that he was in the world. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Can you imagine? People say, well, if I, some people say, well, if I see God, if he stands right here in front of me, then I'll believe him. No, you won't. Because there are countless people in the day that Jesus walked this planet who didn't just see him, but they watched him perform miracles and yet they still rejected him. So stop saying that. Stop using that line. It's not true. Some people say, well, I believe what I see. No, the truth is you see what you believe. Whatever you have configured in your mind, whatever you have settled on in your own mind about what you believe, that's what you see. You look at everything through those lenses. So even if the Lord showed up, because you've already made up in your mind that there is no God or that you don't want to believe him, even if he showed up here today, you'd make up some reason as to why you wouldn't believe him. Some excuse. And so it was, Jesus was in the world, made the world. He was in the world that he made and they didn't know him. He came to his own, but yet they received him not because they would not receive him. They would not receive him. But in verse 12, but as many as many as did receive him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God. So the question tonight is this. Are you listening? Have you received him? Have you received Christ Jesus? Once you're here tonight, you've received an invitation to come. You've received an invitation to come to the meeting. That's wonderful. But it's got to be more than that. You've got to receive the person of Christ that you might know him. You've either received him or you've rejected him. If I'm dismissed from the presence of God one day, if I am cast out, as the scriptures tell us, if I am put out of his presence for the rest of eternity into a place the Bible very clearly describes as hell, it won't be God's fault. It won't be because he didn't want to save us, but it will be rather because we refused to be saved. There standeth one amongst us. The problem isn't with the willingness of God. The problem is with the willingness of man. Man is just not willing. On that day, when you stand before the Savior, if you continue to reject him, on that day, God will say, but there was standing one amongst you. You can give any excuse you want to as to why you did not come to Christ, as to why you didn't repent of your sins and why you didn't believe. But he'll look you in the eye and say, but there was one standing amongst you that you didn't know. So the natural question tonight then is, how do I know him? How shall I know him? Well, there's a couple of very obvious ways. We're told an awful lot about him in this book. In fact, the reason John came before Jesus came the first time was so that he could let people know that the Messiah is coming. This is what he's like. This is what you need to look for. And so this book, the word of God, whether it be written or whether it be proclaimed as it was in those days, this book is to prepare us, prepare our minds and hearts so that when, when we are in a room like this and he's standing amongst us, we might recognize him. So that when his voice is spoken, we might recognize that's the voice of God. When he presses by his spirit on a tender place in our heart, we might be able to say, that's God. I can remember after the Lord saved me, looking back, thinking, that was God all along. That was him. I, I, did, I thought it was coincidence. I thought it was accident. I thought, look, that shouldn't have happened. But all of even the troubles, even the difficulties, I can look back now and see, actually, that was the hand of God. God let those things happen because in those things, I recognized my need. And in those broken moments and times, I was brought to a place where I was more willing to listen than I was before. And I can see it was God. He was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. Look what it says. What does his word tell us about this man in our text? Look at it in verse number, verse number four and five of chapter one. Uh, the scriptures say, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now watch this. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In verse number eight, speaking of John, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, which is Jesus. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's a measure of illumination that is given to every man. Oh, I understand that some people, we might argue, are given more illumination, more light. I believe I've been given more light today than I had a year ago. I understand that. But there is a measure that the light lighteth every man. 
so that we're without excuse. And the reason we're told this is so that in a dark moment of your life, at the darkest, lowest point of your life, when you feel like giving up, when you don't want to live anymore, and in that hour, in that moment, when a ray of light breaks through, you might recognize what that light is. That that light that offers a glimmer of hope, that that little ray of hope, that window of opportunity is not chance or accident, that that is not just some goodwill of some man, but that is actually Christ Jesus. The light of the world that cometh into the world and lighteth every man. But I don't know of what could be worse than for God to extend his arm to you, for God to give a little, shine a little light on the subject and for you to attribute that light to somebody else. I can't think of a worse thing. I can't think of a worse thing than for God in your darkest moment to reach his hand out and for you to, to reach up to grab it maybe or, or him to show a little light and then for you to think it's someone else but him. For you to say, oh, that, that wasn't God. I can't think of anything worse. Can you? How would you feel if you reached to help someone, if you did something kind to help someone in their need and, and they didn't recognize that it was you, but they attributed that to somebody else? Wouldn't you be offended? How much more, God, when he shines light into your life, he gives you hope, he gives you a measure of opportunity, and you don't recognize that it's him. In verse 8 and 9, it says, he was not that light. John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light. Jesus is the true light. There is light. In verse 14, it says, the word was made flesh. We know this is speaking of Jesus. And the word dwelt among, amongst us. And we, watch this, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten father. Now watch this phrase, full of grace and truth. Now, we're told this so we can recognize Jesus. This light that has come into the world, this one that's standing amongst us that some of us don't see tonight is full of two things. His, his life is full. My glass is not quite full, but you might say if it were full to the brim, you would say that is a glass that is full of water. But Christ had the unique ability to be full of two things, grace and truth. I love this. Because the Lord Jesus is such a wonderful, wonderful person. He's full of truth. He tells us what is true. He tells us our condition, that we are not what we ought to be, that we're in trouble. He tells us the truth, and he tells us as well how to get out of trouble and tells us what the solution is. He tells us about redemption in his blood. Every sin and every stain can be washed away. Every guilty stain can be washed away through his blood. He tells us that. But he isn't just full of truth, he's full of grace. Grace is that kindness that isn't given because someone deserves it. That love and that favor, that affection, which is given without you ever deserving it, simply because somebody is kind. And the Bible says Jesus was full of that. Would you look here for a moment? Many of our failures in preaching and many of our problems in the pulpit and many of our problems in the pulpit throughout the land is that we are preaching a Christ that is only half full of grace. And therefore, if you don't meet up to my expectations or the expectations of the church or denomination, then boy, you're looked down upon. But Christ is full of grace. Aren't you glad 
Aren't you glad that the Savior that died for our sins wasn't half full of grace, but full of grace? In fact, the Bible says, where sin did abound, meaning where sin was overflowing, grace did much more abound. Full of grace. And sometimes Christ Jesus can be preached in such a way that he's hard. Sometimes we look at God and we're afraid of God because he's in a hard and austere man. But the truth is he's full of grace. Even tonight, you see, but you don't know what I've been a part of. You don't know how many times I've turned my back on him. It's okay. He's full of grace. Full of grace. In verse 16, it says the same thing. And of his fullness, of that fullness of grace, have all we received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we're told what he's like so that we can recognize him when we hear him, when we sense his presence, when we read of him, or maybe in meeting somebody else, we meet somebody, we say, surely, surely there's something different about that person because the Savior lives inside of them. But there's one last thing that we're given because there is standing someone here in our midst tonight that some of you haven't seen yet, you haven't met him yet, and there's one last thing, one last word of instruction that's given. John says that he's coming uh, he, he preferred before me. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. As he was talking, as he was baptizing in verse 29, the Bible says John saw him coming. And John said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He's standing amongst us and John said, here he is. look at him. He's the Lamb of God. He is a sacrifice for our sins. Look at him. He's a lamb that was slain to take away your sins. He's the lamb of God, the lamb provided by God to be a propitiation. It's a big word that means to be the sacrifice of our, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's who Jesus is. And all that needs to be done is for you to look, behold him, look upon him. That's it. You haven't got to do a little dance or put money in the collection bag. You don't have to attend church for a certain number of weeks. You simply must look by faith and live. Look and live. That's it. One little glance, one little cast your eye upon the Savior who died for you. Dare to believe that if you look upon him by faith, if you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, dare to believe that just by looking to him, you shall be saved. Charles Spurgeon was converted to that Old Testament passage in Isaiah. The one that says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And he came, you know the story, he stumbled into that little Methodist church on Artillery Street in Colchester one snowy evening, couldn't get to his own church, and their minister wasn't there, so a deacon got up to preach, and he wasn't a very polished speaker, but he got up and he just said, look, look unto me and be saved. And he repeated it over and over, look, look, look. And that day, Spurgeon, by faith, looked to Christ. Somebody asked Spurgeon many years later, well, what do you do after you look to Jesus? And Spurgeon said, you keep looking. You keep looking. You look and you look and you look. This was the life verse for Thomas Boston, the great Puritan writer. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now I'm telling you tonight, 
by the authority of God's word that there's standing one amongst us tonight. If you'll just look to him. You say, but I can't see him. Where is he? With the eye of faith, we must look to the one who was crucified for your sins. Do you believe it? I know, I'm pretty sure you know that you're a sinner. That we're not what we should, we're broken, aren't we? We feel sometimes, some days more than others, we feel the darkness of our own heart. Look to Christ. Look to him and keep looking. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Would you look to him tonight? Bow your head with me, please, and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we praise and magnify thy name that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We rejoice that it wasn't for the righteous that he came, but yet for the ungodly like me. And we give thanks that there is salvation, that there is light in the darkness, that there is a healing balm for my sin-sick soul. We rejoice there's a way of escape, that there's salvation, healing for the brokenhearted. We pray that tonight, the one who is standing amongst us, our dear beloved Savior, the Lamb of God, we pray that tonight he might be clearly seen in this place, that every eye may behold him, and that tonight someone may come to know the one that is standing amongst us that it would no longer be said that there's standing one amongst us whom we know not. Help us as a church, not just to know about the Savior, but to know him well, to be well acquainted, more acquainted with him than we are with anyone else. Help us, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.